The following is part two in a two-part broadcast here on Tales from the South. This is Paula Morell, and welcome to Tales from the South. Well, the preacher said I only wanted to say one another song about the judgment day. Tell us how rock and roll never stay. How's everybody doing tonight? So how about tonight's music by the Salty Dogs? Y'all like the Salty Dogs? Hailing from Little Rock, Arkansas, the Salty Dogs have shared the stage with Hank Williams Jr., Old Crow Medicine Show, and Kinky Friedman, among many others. They have CDs for sale after the show, and more can be found at thesaltydogs.net. All right, well, welcome to a very special edition of Tales from the South, our Season 10 holiday show where Southerners bring their own true holiday stories to life. We are on location at the historic Capitol Hotel in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. Tales from the South is presented by Temenos Publishing Company and the Midnight News Writing Workshops, and I'm your host, Paula martin Morell. What do you all think about our set back here? You all like our set? These Delta screen doors with mixed meter portraiture are by esteemed Arkansas artist B.L. Cox from her Images of the American South collection and are for sale. A portion of the proceeds from the sale of these works goes to Tales from the South. Our listeners can find out more about these pieces and B.L. at her website, greatfineart.com. All right, are y'all ready for some Southern-style holiday storytelling? Tonight, our storytellers take us back to holidays past, from Christmas memories to New Year's wishes, and a lot in between. All stories are true and told by the Southerners who lived them. Later tonight, Paul Bowen takes his brother Bob's Christmas Day challenge. But let's start the night here at Tales from the South with Carlos Cervantes' Christmas in Vietnam and Three Hours of Hope. First of all, I would like to dedicate this uh, short story to all past and present Vietnam veterans who have given their time as well as their lives for us to be able to enjoy this comfortable way of life. All names have been changed to protect the innocent, and at times the language can be harsh. It was the only way a Vietnam veteran was able to express himself, especially in that environment called Nam. December 24th, 1968, someplace in Southeast Asia. 1400 hours, that's uh, two o'clock. Temperature 119 degrees. The company size unit had been humping hard since 0600 hours. After an elusive enemy that kept its distance when he wanted to, and then would resurface with an ambush for harassment to thin us out as much as possible for their final assault, if and when they decided, and just keep us at high alert with that uncomfortable feeling that we knew we're always being watched with every step we took. Company RTO Sergeant Sanchez was starting to get nervous. As an old timer, he felt that could be moving into a trap. 
when they left, when they left uh, the fire base, LZ Franco, on December the 1st, they had started out with 162 men. Now they were down to 151. In 24 days, they had lost 11. Three were KIAs, and eight were wounded in action. And Charlie was not done with them as of yet. Sanchez was trying hard on staying focused and positive since their loss of their beloved captain earlier in the month through an accident that was not meant to be. If only they had not convinced him to attend a going away party for a colonel who was ending his tour. Now it seemed that bad karma was getting even, and he knew, as were the rest of the unit, low on supplies, and being that it was Christmas Eve, that did not sit well on the morale. Suddenly, LT, Lieutenant, put his right hand up in a fist, signifying a halt. I responded by raising mine, and down the line he went, everyone, a dead stop. I noticed our point man, 2nd Platoon, RTO, Masterfield, a redhead from Washington, a.k.a. Yankee, coming back, coming back up the path, motioning for me and the lieutenant for a briefing on his situation. We sat in a tight circle, and Yankee whispers to us, Lieutenant, the trail has gone cold. We're not even close to where they could be. He says, I've got this feeling they have either doubled back around us and waiting for us to continue after them, or they have just gone home, wherever home is. At. The lieutenant just listened and motioned for us to stand down while he contemplated the situation. He finally gave the order, gives the order to log in, settle down, in here for the night, and come, di come daylight, continue the hunt. Everybody drop the rocks and get some relief from the heat. Some chow down and with some seas. As others dig in for the night, and call it a day. For the remainder of the night, it was quiet. It was a quiet, hot, muggy stay. Not even a tripwire went off. <clears throat> December 25th, 1968. Area of operation, the crow's nest, zero five hundred hours, temperature eighty degrees. <clears throat> At about five hundred hours, a call came in over the radio to have all chickens, that's us, ready for extraction back to the base camp. And of course, there was some joy to this announcement. Finally, the unit got extracted at 0700 hours from deep double canopy jungles of the crow's nest. The AO, the AO have been, have been in the last 24 days, we have been in the last 24 days, where we have lost some of our friends, and now we move away once more and never to forget this mission. When we finally landed at our base camp, orders came 
came in to stand down again and wait for further orders. Time lingered on and waiting as patiently as a GI can wait on a hot chopper pad for further orders with degrees of patience for a grunt is zero, none, nada. So it was only natural for them to start getting edgy, worried, angry, suspicious, that no one knew what was going on. They noticed that more Hueys, call sign Caspers, were continuing to come in with more troops from the field. Finally, all four grunt companies and one recon were in. Total of troops, not counting the support group, had about 900 men. Most of these young men, and they were young, the kid being the youngest, at 17, were starting to conjugate around the CP, trying to listen to the radio from the company RTO, Sergeant Sanchez. They all pronounce his last name as San Cheese. Go figure. At about that time, Top walks up to our lieutenant and whispers something into his ear. <clears throat> most of us here, most of us nearby, notice the lieutenant's jaw drop as if to say, no way. This was a bad sign, and karma was about to get even. And rumors started to pass that we were going into a hot LZ. The lieutenant excused himself and mentioned that the battalion commander wanted to meet with all the company officers and NCOs. About that time, a short grunt we call Short Mac mentioned something to the effect, I don't want to die today. It's Christmas Day. Those words echoed through the whole pad in minutes. Rumors spread like a wildfire on a dry brush. Fast. Yankee swore he heard that we were doing a jump. That was so upsetting. And some of the guys started to do some quiet thinking, and others requested to have a chaplain so as to do the last rites. We all knew to do a day jump on a hat on a hot LZ was suicidal. And this was Christmas Day. Our morale was starting to decay, even lower. The lieutenant came back from the meeting, from the meeting with the battalion commander and was not saying much. His RTO Sanchez asked if he should know what's up. Lieutenant answers, I can't. Not yet. Orders went out to drop the rocks, load up light, which means get your hands on to plenty of ammunition and whatever one needs is going to need to survive at hot LZ. Damn it. All we wanted was shower, was a shower, some hot food, over easy eggs with real bacon and ham, dry clean clothes, and maybe even some ice cold PBR. <laughs> All y'all know what PBR is, eh? <clears throat> Merry Christmas, Nam. You suck. All the, Caspers, all the Caspers were coming in, coming back in from refueling. And by the numbers, all platoons started loading in. As we look onto the pad, this is going to be one hell of an assault. 
Kama was about to get even with us, Doc, a Chicano slash Mexican from New Mexico, grabbed Sanchez's arm and said, I don't like the feeling of this, Sam Cheese. Sanchez answers, nor do I. About that time, one of the pilots usually puts on some music on the speakers, mounted underneath the choppers, to the tune of the doors or Jimi Hendrix. But not this time. It was different. The tunes was a Christmas song by Bing Crosby. We are going into battle with the tunes from Christmas. Again, not a good sign. Bad, bad juju. Sanchez had his hand headset right up to his ear so as not to miss any orders that would have to come through him and relate it over to the lieutenant. Nothing was coming in. Odd. They've been in the air about 30 minutes already. Then Sanchez hears the info, ETA, five minutes. He relays it over to the lieutenant, who was sitting right across from him, with a blank stare. Lieutenant gives the OK sign, thumbs up to him. Hell, Sanchez felt like giving him the finger, just for the hell of it. But he decided not to. Some of the guys started to sit on the steel helmets. It's sort of a safety net in case the chopper hits a landmine upon landing. Sanchez does the same. Then all of a sudden, Shormack yells out, Hey, that looks like a military airbase camp. Where in the hell are we going? All of a sudden, Lieutenant cracks a smile. Something's up, but what? All casters came in gliding. We unloaded as fast as possible. Lieutenant mentions, hold over there to the side, wait for further orders. We waited for about another half hour, and here comes the battalion commander with all his NCOs and officers. We all stand at attention, all 900 of us. <coughs> Man at ease, clears his throat with a slight crack in his voice. He apologizes to us for the close kept secret he held from us. Then he says, man, Merry Christmas. This is your Christmas present from Mr. Bob Hope and the USO group. Go and enjoy yourself afterwards. Go enjoy yourselves. And afterwards, all of you are invited to some fine, fine dining at the Air Force Mess Hall. Merry Christmas. Enjoy yourselves. Y'all have earned it. Wow. Even the lieutenant had tears in his eyes. Wow. Jew boy says, yeah, man, there is a God. <clears throat> for the next three hours, for the next three hours, we all laughed so hard with Mr. Hope. We laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. And we know that some of the guys had to have pee on themselves. Short Max says, I did twice. <laughs> <clears throat> that day on Christmas, December the 25th, 1968, we knew that no one else in our unit had to die. We also knew that it was a merry, merry Christmas to all. Yes, Virginia, there is a God. And thank you, Mr. Hope, from the bottom of our hearts. 
For we know that they have made room for you in heaven. With Jordan, Martinez, Campbell, Foote, Wiley, Rock, so many, many more that we had lost. Thank you for making us laugh one more time. This, this toast is to you. This toast is to you and to all past and present veterans. Should you see one of them on any day, please do not buy them a PBR. <laughs> but do buy them a real beer. <laughs> Thank you for your time, and I salute you. Originally from South Texas, Carlos Cervantes is currently employed as a county veteran service officer attached to the VA in Little Rock to help any and all veterans in need of any type of benefits that they are entitled to. Next on Tales from the South, Paul Bowen and his brother decide a foot race after Christmas dinner is a good idea in Dash Away All. We used to have Christmas at my house. This started about 1996 or so, if memory serves. Mother was still doing pretty good, but her Parkinson's had progressed to the point that she just didn't need to be trying to concoct a big Christmas dinner. That, and I had a, I had a far more lenient policy regarding adult beverages than did my quasi-Baptist mother. <laughs> it worked out pretty nicely. Uh, I have a big kitchen and commercial grade range. Back in those days, I did both ribs and a beef tenderloin on the grills on the deck. Folks hung out in the kitchen, on the porch, or on the deck. A ball game was always playing on the TV. Kids were playing on the computer. Such are the warm memories of the holidays that sustain us over the years. It was the second or third year of Christmas at Uncle Paul's that a certain event took place that yet to this day holds a prominent place in the collective memory of the family. It was after dinner. My brothers and I were out on the deck drinking amber liquid, smoking cigars, and otherwise providing the usual positive example of right living for the children. <laughs> Somehow the topic of athletic prowess came up. I was a competitive tennis player back in those days and my brother Bob had started doing a uh, regimen of kettlebells. According to him, this means that he could beat me in a 40-yard dash. <laughs> Listen, I said, I can outrun you to the top of Van Buren and back. No way, he replied. Yeah, right now, big guy, right now with me in street shoes. Let's do it, was his response. Of course, our brother John thought this was a really good idea and offered to start us. And so all the Christmas guests gathered on the corner of my street and Van Buren to watch the big race. Now, for those unfamiliar with the neighborhood I refer to as the People's Republic of Hillcrest, <laughs> Van Buren is a main artery and it's about a 60 degree incline. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> John started us off, and as prophesied by me back on the deck, I smoked Bob by a good 30 yards. I hit the top of the hill, turned around to head down to the finish line, and promptly tweaked a hamstring, <laughs> which caused me to take a header out there on the course. I rolled three or four times, I skinned up my face, I thought I broke my hand, Bob ran past me as I lay there in the street. <laughs> Loser, he yelled. <laughs> Trying to be helpful, I'm sure. 
About that time, I sensed the headlights behind me. I rolled over and saw a Buick heading my way. One of those big ones I used to make back then, a Roadmaster or a deuce and a quarter. I quickly rolled off the street. The Buick pulled alongside me. It was full of elderly ladies who had been to church or doing some activity more sensible than what I'd been up to. A window came down. A sweet face, albeit one etched with appropriate alarm, looked down at me. Are you all right? I looked up at the lights. I looked back at her. W was I all right? All right. Yeah, I was all right for some damn fool who had managed to not get crushed by a road grader old lady car because he blew a hamstring running a race on Christmas night. Yeah, I was all right. By that time, Bob had come back up the hill to make sure I wasn't dead. We assured the ladies in the half-track-sized Buick that I was fine. And we stumbled back to my house. As we stumbled back to my house, he asked if I was okay, like he cared. I told him that I thought I'd broken my hand. Awesome, he said. This is the best Christmas ever. Now, tradition has it that two girls named Jeanette and Isabella, French and Spanish names, not likely actually present in Bethlehem of Judea at the time, but what the heck, were, unlike Bob and I, engaged in purposeful running on Christmas night in one of my favorite carols. Bring a torch, Jeanette Isabella, bring a torch to the cradle run. It is Jesus, good folk of the village, Christ is born and Mary's calling. Ah, ah, beautiful is the mother, ah, ah, beautiful is her son. It is wrong when the child is sleeping, it is wrong to talk so loud. Silence all as you gather round, lest your noise should wake on Jesus. Hush, hush, see how fast he slumbers, hush, see how fast he sleeps. Hasten now, good folk of the village, hasten now, the Christ child to see. You will find him asleep in the manger, quietly come and whisper softly, hush. Hush, peacefully now he slumbers. Hush, peacefully now he sleeps. Bring a torch, Jeanette Isabella. Bring a torch to the cradle run. It is Jesus, good folk of the village. Christ is born and Mary's calling. Ah, ah, beautiful is the mother. Ah, ah, beautiful is her son. So how'd all this work out? Bob's wife was furious. She didn't speak to him on the trip back to Conway that night. <laughs> the then sister-in-law attached to John at the time thought she had married into a lunatic asylum. Brother Dave must not have been there that year because I don't recall any words of ridicule out of him. And Mother poured the high-end Christmas booze down the sink. <clears throat> now, it's not like anybody was drunk, really. But drunk pathology was probably easier for Mom to get her arms around than the notion that half of the four sons she brought into this world turned out to be idiots. <laughs> was it worth all that? At Christmas, was it worth all that? Are you kidding? Of course it was. Like Bob said, it was the best Christmas ever. <laughs> Good thing, unlike the European girls rumored to be at the manger on that first Christmas, that Bob and I weren't packing torches when we headed up Van Buren that night. <laughs> After all, that would have been dangerous.
Arthur Paul Bowen is a writer and recovering lawyer. He lives in Little Rock. So how about our stories and storytellers tonight? Thank you to all of our writers. Thank you to our live audience here at the Capitol Hotel. And thank you to UALR Public Radio. Tales from the South is presented by Timonos Publishing Company and the Midnight Muse Writing Workshops. Additional support provided by UALR School of Mass Communications, the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow, Little Rock Soiree Magazine, UALR's Department of Rhetoric and Writing, the North Little Rock Visitors Bureau, the Arkansas Arts Council, and the Oxford American, the Southern Magazine of Good Writing. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Stitcher Smart Radio, and you can download and listen to our podcast on our website. We are open for submissions from all Southerners. More can be found at talesfromthesouth.com. Have a great night, and we'll see you next week for another edition of Tales from the South. Good night, everybody. Rider accommodations for Tales from the South provided by Robinwood Bed and Breakfast in Little Rock. More at RobinwoodBnB.com. And the Baker House Bed and Breakfast in North Little Rock. More at BakerHouseNLR.com. Live sound and studio assistance provided by the UALR School of Mass Communication. You too can experience Tales in person as a member of our live audience. We're now traveling throughout Arkansas and the South, bringing tales to your community. Details on hosting a live show, our schedule, and ticket information can all be found on our website, talesfromthesouth.com. Thanks for keeping the art of Southern-style storytelling alive. And we'll see you next week on Tales from the South.
Tell us how rock and roll never stays. 